Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Adam Miller and joining me today is Johnny McFarlane. Hello! On today's pod we'll be looking back in a mixed night for Scottish teams in Europe as Rangers progress and Aberdeen exit and also looking at a strange story that's emerged regarding Shelley Kerr and the Scotland squad. Rangers cruised through to the final qualifying round of the Europa League last night with a 3-1 win over Michelin, giving them a 7-3 aggregate victory. Alfredo Morelos scored twice, Shea Ojo got the other one, a comfortable victory in the end. Johnny, what did you make of the game? I thought Rangers were very impressive. A very calm, composed, mature, streetwise European performance against what I thought was a pretty good side overall. Michelin have large physical specimens in their team who can uh, cause real damage at set pieces. And they've also got players with great individual skill who can create things out of nothing. So this is a, make no mistake, this is an excellent result for Rangers. I think the 7-3 nature of the aggregate score is perhaps a little bit flattering on Rangers. um, But that's only because Michelin are a good side and missed a few chances, and Rangers were extremely clinical. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the expected goals from the ties, they'd probably be a little bit closer than, than what we actually saw. But that just underlines how good it is mm-hmm. in terms of the brass tacks of getting through. And, uh, you know, Steven Gerrard, I think, will go away from that match really, really happy because I don't think Rangers would have got through that tie this time last year. Michelin, I think, are a step above the teams that, that they got through, like even though people thought Maribor were a pretty good side at the time, I think Michelin are actually a step above. I, I actually think Rangers are looking quite improved now. Um, mm-hmm. I know I said uh, on this podcast maybe a week ago that I was concerned about um, defending the low block, and, and, I, and I still am, because they've not really come up against that yet. Uh, time will tell whether or not they have improved on that front. That was the key problem last year. But in terms of their first 11, going toe-to-toe with a good side, I think they look stronger than they were last year. Yeah. Steven Gerrard was asked about Celtic's defeat against Cluj in the build-up to last night's game, and he said, it shows you can't take a first-leg result for granted. My players need to take note of that going into tomorrow night's game. Celtic and Rangers both went into their games this week having achieved good results away from home. Celtic having drawn one all and scored that vital away goal Rangers having won 4-2 what did Rangers get right last night that Celtic got wrong on Tuesday well there's so many things but I think the key one is stability Rangers have been built from the defence forwards and they had a few moments last night there's no doubt about it a few sticky uh, individual mistakes but generally Rangers are a team that you just don't feel will get taken apart by anyone Mm-hmm. They, they are solid banks of four, very well organised, good as good with the ball as they are out of possession. Celtic are a much more free-flowing, off-the-cuff side. They look a less coached side. Uh, and I mean that uh, without being uh, derogatory to Neil Lennon. I just mean they, they look like a side um, middle to front that is about creativity and players doing things off the cuff. Rangers look a lot more structured in the way they go about things. Um, But defensively, Rangers are solid. The players that are starting at the moment, they're all players from last season. Alan McGregor was great last year. James Tavernier has been great for years. 
John Flanagan had a, had a mistake last night, but he's a decent defender. And we know Katic and Goldson are, are good, and they've been good for a year. Celtic have defenders that have been signed, defenders who are different nationalities, defenders who have just come into the club and just come into Scottish football. So it's going to take time for them to bed in. And that, for me, is the stark difference between the two sides. I think there's one other thing that Celtic have got wrong that Rangers have got right. Rangers got their transfer business done and they got it done early. Celtic have been faffing about a little bit. Um, You know, players coming in, I think, a little bit too late. People have been talking to me about uh, Celtic fans that I know about January being really important for Celtic. You get them in, you bed them in slowly, then they're ready for that qualifying round. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've seen Rangers have success from that in terms of uh, Glenn Kamara and Stephen Davis in last night. Mm -hmm. You know, they've already bedded in. They know exactly what they need to do. Stephen Davis, first couple of months, looked a bit shaky. People didn't think he was going to hang around. But eventually he got what Stephen Gerrard was asking him to do. And now look at him. He was absolutely terrific last night. He was man of the match. Celtic haven't bedded those players in, or as many of those players in, um, in the same way. And they just don't look as defensively strong with or without the ball. Do you think that comes down to a difference in terms of stability at the two clubs? I'm not going to sit here and say that Rangers are in any way a more stable club than Celtic. <laughs> I'm not going to make that point. Good However, for your notifications. That's well, the yeah, case. it'll be interesting. <laughs> but... The, just in terms of the managerial position, Gerard yeah. talked about when he came to Rangers. You know, a, you know, as modern managers do, talked about projects and talked about not just the first season but building something over a period of years. Um, whereas last season, Rogers left shortly after the January transfer window, maybe like three or four weeks after that, um, and there clearly been issues brewing before he left. Do you think when you talk about Celtic fans saying that there, there, you know, there's been a lack of continuity around the the transfers and players not being given an opportunity to bed in from January to August and the rest of it, do you think the difference there is that Gerard was thinking long term like that? And that I don't think it's just Gerard. It's Mark Allen's been there. Yeah. Now different people have different opinions on Mark Allen. Personally, I've been quite impressed with the work that he's done. I think Rangers have got the big transfers right. Obviously, people like Eros Gresda, people like Borna Barisic will be thrown in Mark Allen's face. But you look at Conor Goldson, he was a big money signing. You look at Nikola Katic, Alan McGregor, Stephen Davis, um, Jeremy Defoe. They've got a lot right. And a lot of these new guys that have come in, it's very, very early doors. It's too early to judge them. But what you'd have to say is, so far, so good. Yeah, um, I think... That structure that Rangers put in place, that director of football structure, they've been crying out for that for years. If you look at what happened uh, after the financial difficulties, they go down to the bottom division, they allow a manager to have free reign over who he's signing, um, and and you get to that stage where every new manager coming in will change and want different players. You see it all over. Dundee are a a perfect example of a club that's done that Mm -hmm. um, in the last couple of years. Every new manager, it's a massive change. Rangers had the foundations that had been put in place by Gerard last season and this season it's been about building on top. Mark Allen's been overseeing all that as the spider in the web, the director of football who's looking at all these little different aspects of the club. They've had that in place. Celtic have had the problems with Lee Congerton leaving, with Brendan Rodgers leaving, with a complete 
um, change in terms of who's going to look at the recruitment. They've got this uh, the, the new uh, guy whose name escapes me off the top of my head. I can't remember it. Who's come in supposedly short term to look at mm-hmm. helping Neil Lennon with transfers. We yep. don't know what's going to happen with that. We're now in uh, August and we, we've not heard. So we've just got to presumably assume that he's going to continue on. But I think that lack of continuity has led amongst other things at Celtic, to this kind of, this feeling of a malaise, perhaps. But you know what? Celtic have been written off before. They've mm-hmm. just won the last nine championships. Let's not get ahead of ourselves on the basis of one... I think one you just did get ahead of yourselves there. They've won the last eight. The, the last, sorry, the last <laughs> nine trophies, the last eight ah, championships. Right, That's okay. what I was going for. Right, okay. Um, so I think it's important not to get too carried away on the basis of one disappointing night in Cluj where they, they had a defensive meltdown. Mm-hmm. Shea Ojo was the only summer signing who started for Rangers last night. If you don't include Stephen Davis, who'd already been on loan from January, as you said. How do you think Ojo's settling in so far? Looks really good when he's on it. I think he's been he's been a little up and down. He is a guy that I think is going to really appreciate the wide open space of, of an Ibrox. He's got pace to burn, he's got physicality, um, he looks like he can finish because that's that's now a few, I think that's four goals he's got now. He must have something approaching now four assists because that was two assists there and I think he got two assists against Hibs. This is a key factor for me. Last season, Rangers really lacked key numbers in wide areas. Daniel Candias and uh, Ryan Kent, as good as they were individually at times, they didn't get a lot. I think Kent's numbers at the end of last season were eight goals and six assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ojo is going to probably finish ahead of that by the end of August at this rate. So that shows you, Stephen Gerrard has, has, has said it himself, we need to get better numbers in there. And, and I think Ojo is the kind of guy that is going to add to that. Um, we've seen that he can flutter in and out of games, but he's got that decisive quality to make a difference in the final third. And that's what Rangers need. Okay, uh, last night Morelos got the other two goals. Um He's absolutely rattling them in at the moment. Do you think he's in the best form he's been in since he signed for Rangers? Well, I think people must be taking note now. That's seven goals in the Europa League. He's a top scorer in the competition to date. Um, he is looking electric, extremely sharp. His run for the um, third goal for Rangers last night uh, looked massively offside, but it wasn't. It was. I've watched it back. He was onside. It was just a tremendous run, and he gave himself so much time. He got so far ahead of uh, the, the uh, Mitchell and defender that he looked offside. Um, but that just sums him up at the moment. He is sharp, mm-hmm. and I think having Jermaine Defoe there breathing down his neck, a player he probably respects um, for his quality, will add that extra edge. And we saw that against Hibs. Defoe comes off with a hat trick, and Morelos. I mean, he was literally like a whirling dervish. He mm-hmm. was like a Tasmanian devil. He looked like everything counted in that last 13 or 14 minutes that he was on and he grabbed two goals and I think it's because he doesn't want to be overshadowed by anyone. One of today's newspapers gave uh, Nikola Katic 9 out of 10. Our own Gaby Mackay gave him a 6 in his report on the game last night. What what was your take on Katic's performance? Yeah, I think uh, what we're trying to do at Football Scotland with regards to the match uh, ratings is to um, address them in a slightly different way. The Italian papers, the foreign papers are a little bit more in French as well. 
Lequeep, most famously, I think, are a little bit more um, stringent in their the way they hand out these uh, numbers. And uh, we're trying to do a more in-depth individual match rating. Um, so I think we'll probably start at five being an average as opposed mm-hmm. to six. Um, so Gaby was starting with that. You'll notice that all the other Rangers attacking players got really, really high rankings yeah. in yeah. the piece. I think um, Morelos got a nine. I think Ojo was an eight. So he clearly was impressed with the, the forward areas of, of the pitch. But I think what Gaby was referring to last night, um, and I think he gave Connor Goldson a four, which I, mm. I, I wouldn't agree with personally. I would have given him a six. Um but the reason I think Gaby did that is because there were a number of defensive lapses by Rangers in the game. Uh, now, I would attribute that personally to the fact that Mitchell and I think are a good side. Mm-hmm. They've won a number of Danish uh, trophies. I think they're the cup holders as, as we speak. Um, they've won the league, I think, a few times in the last five years. So I think they're a good side. Um, and uh, I think Rangers were tested. And I think that's why there were a few moments where they looked shaky. But Gaby felt that I think uh, Conor Goldson had made a couple of mistakes that could have been goals in the game. Mm-hmm. And he did. He did make mistakes. Um, but he also had a few moments where he brought the ball out beautifully, a couple of great passes. And I think what Rangers fans are wanting to see from Conor Goldson this year, we know he's a good defender, Adam. We know he can put his head in where it hurts. We know he can get a tackle in. But what Rangers need is to get a defender that gets on the ball and strides forward out of yep. defence. What Christopher Ayer does for Celtic, Rangers need that. Because you need to to break that block, you need to cut through it. You need to take out that first player in the block. And the best teams have a defender that can do that. And I think Conor Goldson's trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And if he can achieve it, and if he can become that defender, because Nikola Katic is much more of a, a hardened solid, grizzled defender. But if Conor Goldson can do that, can add that to his game, that'll make a massive difference. I think that's what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So Legia Warsaw are next up for Rangers in the Europa League. That's next week, the first leg. Do you think they'll be a tougher test than Michelin? I've got to be honest with you, Adam, I've not seen enough of them to sit here and opine about where Rangers are. Seems I, like a lack of research here, Johnny. I don't, it, can't believe you've not been sitting watching Lego I've, Warsaw games. I've not had a chance to, to sit on Scout and have a look at them. I certainly will. Um, but I looked at transfermarket.com, the website that, that aggregates values. And uh, while we know that its values for, for English football is very, very good, I think Scottish football can be a bit wacky at times. We've done a few articles on the website about this. Um, but it places Rangers, I think, something like two or three million above as a squad value where um, Warsaw are. So that tells you that they've got a good squad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll need to have a, a good look at them and see where they're at. It's one of those ones on paper you go, well, that's a 50-50. Yeah. But, you know, we thought Michelin was a 50-50, but in reality, we saw in the game that Rangers are a far better side. So do you think Rangers, off the back of the way they handled both legs against Michelin, will be going into this uh, this final qualifying round high in confidence then? Absolutely. As I said at the start, I think they are a maturing European side. They look very calm and composed and very controlled. And that is what you need in Europe. I think we might touch on this with uh, with Aberdeen. They're they're a side that looks highly structured. And that is where you're going to get joy in the European forum. Okay, so you mentioned Aberdeen. It was a catastrophic night for Aberdeen at Pataudry. They lost 2-0 at home to Rijeka. 
The game was over within 10 minutes as the Croatian side went in front and that gave them a 3-0 aggregate advantage with an away goal. With 20 minutes gone, Funz Ojo was sent off and the Croatians got their second goal on 32 minutes. It stayed that way until the end and Derek McInnes' side went out 4-0 on aggregate. I watched the first leg last week and Aberdeen were absolutely abject and things did not seem to improve at home last night. Johnny, does Derek McInnes have serious questions to answer given the manner of Aberdeen's exit? It's a sore one. There's no doubt about that. I watched um, the goals and the red card on uh, Scout this morning and Aberdeen twice caught on the counter-attack. To be fair to uh, Rijeka, both goals were, were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first goal, it's a really, really fast break. It's a lovely clip box, uh, uh, clip chip pass in the middle and uh, the player sort of flicks it past the keeper without saying his foot. It's a gorgeous finish. And the second goal um, was another tremendous cross in the box uh, and, and header. So it, it, it was qu- they clearly had a bit of quality about them, Rijeka. I think they must have improved since Aberdeen put them out a couple of years back. Um, but a 2-0 home defeat against a Croatian side is always going to be looked upon fairly dimly. I think part of the problem with Derek McInnes is that we talked about Rangers having a controlled style. Aberdeen don't. Aberdeen mm-hmm. thrive on the chaos. Aberdeen thrive on what Ian Cathro used to talk about as being a broken game when he right. used to talk about uh, Scottish football. He always used to come out in the aftermatch press conferences and say, oh, it was a broken game, it was a bitty game. What he's talking about is that second balls culture. Like McInnes has built a team that thrives on that. And that's smart. That's pragmatic in Scottish mm-hmm. football terms. They're very good at second balls. They're very good at crosses into the box. They're very good at set pieces. All these little aspects of the game, they're good at. Um, but when it comes to s- controlling a game, controlling possession, they're not doing that on a week-to-week basis. Yep. So it's very difficult to adjust that for the European Forum. And as I say, that's vitally important. And and I think sometimes they come a little bit unstuck. But it's important as well not to criticise Derek McInnes too much. I've actually looked through his European record and it's a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. He's played 30 games, he's won 12, so that's a 40% win rate. He's drawn 9 and he's lost 9. And the teams that he's gone out to, Maribor, Rijeka, Apollon, Limassol, Real Sociedad, Burnley uh, and Kairat, the only really Kairat stand out to me on, on, on that list is as one that you would expect them to have got through. Yeah. I mean, there's no chance that they're going to get past a Premiership side, a Premier League side, sorry, or a um, Spanish side. Maribor, we, we saw Rangers against them last year, a solid, solid mm-hmm. side. Rijeka looked pretty decent. Croatians, uh, Apple and Limassol, people will say Cyprus, but there's actually a fair bit of money floating about the separate league, and they've had some mm-hmm. success in terms of qualifying for the Champions League in recent years as well. So there's no real disasters in there. Um, and, you know, in terms of the 30 games, he's got results in 21 of them. Yeah. So while I think Aberdeen should be doing better and and uh, they should be um, ho- trying and aiming for a, a group stage place, I, th- I think in honesty, the record isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. So it has, however, been a really bad few days for Aberdeen with the two defeats to Rijeka coming either side of their 1-0 defeat against St Mirren. What do you think the key issues are that Aberdeen need to address? Well, I just think 
they need to get Sam Cosgrove fit first and foremost. Aberdeen have never been a free-flowing side, as we've kind of touched upon, the way they play. And they've got a guy there who just looks like he is guaranteed to get you goals. He's quick, he's powerful, and he, and he finishes well. And the way his game has come on is credit, enormous of enormous credit to Derek McInnes, because so many Aberdeen fans, just before he's, he really turned on that form, would say to you, oh, Sam, Crosgo- Sam Cosgrove's hopeless. Yeah. Um, he's a donkey. But he absolutely looks the part now. He looks like a guy that's prepared to lead the team. Uh, and getting him back is absolutely crucial because what they have in terms of backup, Curtis Main is just settling in. I think he'll be a good signing over the long term, but you can't expect him to come in and replace someone like Cosgrove, who's established now. Mm-hmm. We know Stevie May is not the player that he once was, and he, we know that he's frozen out anyway, expected to move on. And then James Wilson, the eternal enigma, who you would expect to come into Aberdeen and give them something that they don't have, but hasn't really provided it last season or in the start to this season. So I think Aberdeen really need primarily their forward players to start firing, because yep. that's three games where they haven't scored a goal. And where do you see Aberdeen finishing up this season? I still think they'll come third. Yeah, Because I look at that midfield... And uh, you've got a great blend between youth and experience. Ojo, the jury's still out, obviously. I thought he was really unlucky with his red card last night. The first one is a definite yellow card. He stamps his foot down on the uh, Rijeka player's foot. Clear yellow card. But the second one is a coming together of two players. Um, I've only seen one angle because that's the way Scout gives you, gives you the video mm-hmm. footage. Um, so I've not seen it from... The other angle and these kind of players in the way, but it, it looks pretty innocuous. I mean, it is a foul by all means, but I, it would never ever be a yellow card in Scotland. Uh-huh. And I, th- I think he was a bit um, he was a bit unlucky. So Jury's still out on him, but um, I think the other players they have: Craig Bryson, Dean Campbell, Lewis Ferguson, all solid defensively. Aberdeen looked really good. Lee looks good. They've got a de- very, very decent goalkeeper and Joe Lewis. So it's just getting getting it right up top. If they can get it right up top, they'll have no problems whatsoever. Okay, so Scotland head coach Shelley Kerr spoke to BBC Scotland yesterday about an unusual moment in the aftermath of her team's World Cup exit. After having a few drinks with her staff, Kerr apparently gave a de- debrief to her squad that reduced some players to tears and had some considering their international futures. Kerr didn't deny any of those stories when they were put to her. She acknowledged that she would have done things differently and she said there were a few hard and fast conversations and that will always happen in a performance environment. When asked if she was aware that some players were considering their international futures, she said, I think that's always the case in a performance environment. She was asked if speaking to the players after drinking was a bad idea and said... You're on time off. The staff were absolutely amazing throughout the tournament. A great support mechanism. You're on time off. And of course, I can see the perception. None of those answers really seem to engage with what the, you know, what's being suggested in terms of drinking before the debrief, uh, players becoming upset during it, and some even considering their international futures. Johnny, does anything you heard from Shelley Kerr there cut it? Deeply unsatisfactory and uh, totally unconvincing is how I would describe that. Yeah. Um, she says that the the team had a day off. Well, why were they having a team meeting on a day off? I mean, if I 
I'm on a day off and I come in and I call the team of Football Scotland together and I've had five pints of lager and I start acting aggressively towards people and upsetting them, mm-hmm. then I would face the consequences for that because I'm no longer on a day off. I'm now yeah. in work. I've put myself in a working environment and I'm behaving objectively, uh, objectionably, should I say. Yeah. If this was Stevie Clark, yeah. there would be a, a mushroom cloud over Hamden as we speak. Mm-hmm. Because this would be deemed absolutely unacceptable. I don't have a problem with Shelley Kerr speaking home truths to players. That's mm-hmm. abs- She's right. Yeah. That is what happens in a performance environment. That's football. We accept it. Football is not an office. And you wouldn't expect um, football managers to behave in the sort of HR world that the rest of us mm-hmm. live in. You, you can't have that. It's the same with other... And with creative industries like people like film directors and things like mm-hmm. that it's just no it's, yeah. it's not going to happen but there is a huge difference between that and going out to drink and that then affecting or that being perceived to affect by the players because mm-hmm. that's what the, the allegation is um, and that's what Shelley Kerr hasn't denied affecting what you say to the players or how you pitch what you say to the players the fact is there is one person primarily to blame for Scotland's shambolic final 15 minutes against Argentina, and that person is Shelley Kerr. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, how can you have any faith in the Scottish women's team going ahead to this European Championships with this stuff hanging over over the team at the moment? This seems a bizarre situation. Well, it seems that there's two things that happened that independently wouldn't be a problem, but coming together seem, are clearly a big issue. So no one is begrudging Shelley Kerr a few drinks, her and her staff, at, at the day after the World Cup finished, because that's just, aside from the graft involved in qualifying for that tournament, there's then months and months of intense preparation for it, and mm. then a disappointing exit to it. No, no, one can, no one can begrudge the drinking there. Also, as you said, the players also deserve to hear home truths but i think clearly the issue here is that that's been combined you know the drinking and the home truths seem to have happened on the same night um and as you said before with with steve clark that would be a huge story if we were talking about the men's squad so i think we're both in agreement that the unprecedented coverage of women's football during the world cup was both a very good thing and very long overdue would you agree though that with that intent, with that increased coverage, there should also be increased scrutiny. Yes, absolutely, and that's I think where um, we need more information now. I don't think Shelley Kerr's answers on this are acceptable. It's it's vague PR speak. Yeah, there's 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 no answer there. There's no culpability there. It just speaks of someone trying to desperately douse a fire. And, um, you know, if that coverage is going to be increased, then there needs to be accountability for for actions. And and this is one such situation. Would you agree that the big question now then for the SFA is, given that there's no denial from Shelley Kerr Mm. that players were considering their future or that uh, some of the players were reduced to tears and all the rest of it, there was only this... I I think that's less of an issue. Like yeah, but, but it's given, quite a motive that, that but, but, yeah, but given the context, yeah. you know, you should, of course, they're expected to hear home truths, but yeah. 
it might, for all we know, if she hadn't been drinking, have been worded or approached completely differently. Yeah. So if you're if if those allegations about players and tears and considering their international futures are correct, then does that suggest that she's just you know lost the dressing room now? I suppose we don't know. Um, I would have been a lot more positive about Shelley Kerr had she not delivered such a, a mealy-mouthed interview. Mm-hmm. If she'd said, look, emotions were high, I did do this, I went over the top, it was part of the it was part of the stress of the event, yeah. I had the whole nation, the, the hopes of the nations on my shoulders, etc., etc., etc. But she didn't come across very human in that no. interview. It didn't come across as genuine. It came across as someone deliberately trying to sort of squeeze out of a situation, mm-hmm. which to me, it's, it, it was wrong. I mean, it, and, and if it had been Stevie Clark, then I think the situation would be would be blown up massively. It's out of order. Yeah, but I think the, I think the interviews possibly made things worse for her. Just purely going on my own reaction, when I read the sort of back page headline about it today, um, I thought, you know, I want to know more about this story. It's quite unusual. It's intriguing. And then I watched the interview, so a two-minute interview with her on the BBC, and the longer that went on, the less faith I had in what she was saying. It was, as you said, it was sort of vague PR speak. And you had the sense of somewhat, you know, you weren't getting the full story yep. here, and it felt evasive. Um, and you come away from it having a less faith in her than you did before. And Shelley Kerr deserves all the credit in the world for taking Scotland to the World Cup. No one's trying to take that achievement away from her and she'll always be remembered fondly for that but I think uh, and I'd be interested to know if you agree I I think that the this is possibly going to cast a shadow over the rest of her Scotland career well listen this is football (laughs) if she starts to win games this will be forgotten tomorrow that's the Mm -hmm. real politic of it if they're comes a situation where Erin Cuthbert says I no longer want to play for the national team the proverbial shh will hit the fan you know that's that's the way football is but if she can manage it on a one-to-one basis get the players playing for her and get the results it'll quickly be forgotten that that's that's the reality of it that's that's the situation with football and the way um, people react because football is a results-driven industry, and, and at the end of the day, if she can turn it round on the pitch, or, or sorry, get them back to where they were on the pitch mm-hmm. in terms of their qualifying form, uh, she won't have a problem. So Scotland kick off their Euro 2021 qualifiers near the end of this month, and hopefully by that point, uh, relationships have improved between the players, the team. Uh, the manager and everyone involved well that's all from us here at football scotland for today we'll be back tomorrow before 4 p.m just in time to make your daily work commute that a little bit more bearable you can get more from us at the football scotland website or our social media channels on facebook and twitter at football underscore scott to ask a question or make a comment to us individually you can get me on at old firm facts one and johnny on at johnny r mcfarlane until tomorrow thanks for listening